with Feel Good Music by Day, relaxing music by night. This is Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired. Welcome to the Inspire Radio podcast. This podcast is an opportunity to listen again to one of the many inspirational and thought-provoking interviews first broadcast on Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio brings you inspirational interviews, news of events, workshops and seminars, plus great music too. Online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Inspire Radio is your truly feel-good radio station. For more information and to listen to Inspire Radio, why don't you check out inspireradio.co.uk. Check out our Facebook page too, where we've got details of events on there. Our Facebook page is at Inspire Radio UK. Now sit back and enjoy this Inspire Radio podcast. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome to Inspired Conversations with me, Ruth Owen. Today, my guest is Claire Louise Adams. Now, Claire Louise started life as a corporate person and she devoted 20 years of her life to the corporate world and then gave it up to have three children and look after them. And then she had a series of really, really challenging times going through the courts and the custody battles that she had over a number of years. And she's out of that. She's on the other side. And she now volunteers to work for Tony Robbins's events when he stages them around the world. So welcome to Claire Louise. I'm so thrilled you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Claire Louise, we are dying to know how you got from being a mum of three at home to going around the world appearing with Tony Robbins. So tell us, what do you do for him? Uh, well, I am actually part of the volunteer crew. How that happened, quite simply, was I attended an event in London myself. And then any crew members, actually, if you've attended a Tony Robbins event, you can apply to be a crew member. And that's how I found myself in that wonderful world. And and that's been kind of my life now for the past two or three years, maybe four years now, actually. It's a great vibe. It's a great community to be part of. You know, we are volunteers, so we're not part of the paid crew. That community in itself is kind of part of our family. And it becomes more about that community than anything else. So it's a really, it's a really great thing to be part of. And I love it. Fantastic. Well, I've never been to a Tony robin's event he is literally larger than life isn't he <laughs> what's he like to work with oh uh, he's a phenomenal man and i don't necessarily come into that much contact with him because the crew team the, the volunteer crew team sometimes they can be up to like 500 of us if you think about it we have twelve thousand people that come as delegates to the events and participant in the room oh, it's phenomenal isn't it yeah phenomenal so he is very well looked after by his team and our role really is to just make sure sure that everything else runs as it should and that can be from running around the room with a mic so that people that he does interventions with can be heard to event security where we're looking making sure that you know the stage is clear and he can do what he does so the vibe of that particular part of my life it it almost fills my cup and that's kind of how I explain it it's that part of my life where I can go to an event focus on serving it's an opportunity to serve something bigger than yourself and actually know you're making a difference in people that you don't even know and you're never likely to meet again. Well, that's amazing. Yes, it is. 
yeah, and I am incredibly blessed to be part of that community. And it's also good fun. It is. It's absolutely exhausting, but it's really good fun. I can imagine. But tell us, how did you get from being a stay-at-home mum and hmm. being in, in a relationship that was clearly very difficult, how did you get from then to working with Tony Robbins? So I have three children and there's quite diverse ages. So my eldest daughter is now 23 and she was nine when I had the twins who are now 14. So, and I had always worked through having my eldest daughter purely out of financial need if I'm honest my career was important to me but it was also about being able to role model and provide my family with what they needed when I had the twins at that stage of my career believe it or not I was actually a bank manager (laughs) I laugh when I say say that now because I just think how funny there was no way I could do that role and the childcare and the juggling and it, it was just almost impossible with two Two new babies and a nine-year-old and so I then became kind of stay-at-home mum which was great but unfortunately I was just in a really toxic relationship and I think like many women I wasn't aware of how toxic it was until it ended. How did it end? Quite abruptly my partner went away on business. We actually worked for the same company And he went away on business one Tuesday morning and was quite distant on text message um, and then phoned me on the Wednesday morning to tell me he was leaving. But I kind of translated that as he was leaving the place he'd just arrived. But that's not what he meant. He meant me. So and he didn't come home until Friday, which was kind of... I look back now and it's like this surreal time of not really knowing what I was doing. And, and actually it was the first time that I'd actually been left on my own and to my own devices. And I, he was gone for maybe three or four days. And then he, he left. Things happen, relationships end. The situation I found myself in was that I actually was unable to almost function because the relationship I had been in was so controlling and I hadn't been aware of how much and you know how much I relied on him or direction from him for even basic daily routines. How do you mean he controlled everything? Down to subliminal, so I would get dressed and he'd say, are you wearing that? I much prefer it when you wear this. And so I'd trot off and I'd get changed or what I ate. He liked me to be a certain weight. Now, bearing in mind (laughs) at this point, I just had twins who, may I say, were almost seven pounds each. So at that point, I was like the back end of a small house. (laughs) And he was really keen to make sure that I was back in my pre-baby weight. And so what I ate was monitored and I had to weigh in and all this kind of stuff, which now, when I say it out loud now, it does sound quite ridiculous but it's totally understandable if it it happens over a long time I think people who haven't experienced it don't understand that when you are subject to somebody controlling aspects of your life has happened with me you don't actually see it from another perspective because you're in it you're swimming in this sea of uncertainty and things change and shift all the time and you're never quite sure where you stand but because you cannot remove yourself from the situation you're in you think it's perfectly normal and it's it's like a Chinese torture water torture isn't it the drip 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 and you don't see it until you are so far down the line that it takes something really extraordinary to happen like like your partner saying he was leaving for you to then step back and think wow I totally agree with you I think it's one of those situations where prior to that relationship 
I would and friends would have described me as outgoing, independent, personable, life and soul of the party. And I almost feel like it was a challenge to try and reduce me just because I now know, um, having been through a whole process of stuff myself, I think hurt people hurt people. And he was not able to be in a healthy relationship because that's not where he is. But it sneaks up on you. It's not something that happens overnight. And the red flags are very subliminal. They don't kind of slap you across the face. And, you know, and don't get me wrong. There are people in relationships where I'm, the, the abuse is a lot more physical. This wasn't physical. This was very much emotional. And the kind of jibe here and the poke there. And, you know, you're lucky that I love you. And you're lucky because if it wasn't for me, you'd have no, you know, that kind of, it's almost like a constant conditioning it is. And it's a uh, psychological assault. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been with him for several years. He walked out. You had two babies and a yep. child. Yes. So how on earth did you pull yourself together, uh, to use that awful old-fashioned <laughs> phrase, and, and get on with um, your life? In all honesty, it was a, an interesting time because part, I guess, of who I am is my work ethic. So I made movements to come out of parental leave and go back to work part time, which was a challenge because everybody knew us as a couple. And so I kind of, I always call it the tippy head syndrome, where people would come towards me and their heads would move to the side and they'd go, how are you? In this kind of sympathetic, not really knowing what to say. And it was all just, and I actually spent a lot of my time going, yes, I'm great. Thank you. I'm really kind of trying to put this, I won't be beaten. But at the same time, I'd go home and sort the children out because they were in nursery and and sort my eldest out and do a homework with her and just collapse in a heap most nights. It was a really difficult, difficult time. And I, in all honesty, if I hadn't have had the children, I don't even know where I would be today because they were the reason that I actually got out of bed every single day because I had to. Yes. There is a lot of truth to that. When you are responsible for another human being or several human beings who are smaller and more defenseless than you, then your needs actually take a back seat and your focus is on them. So I, I totally get that. But how on earth did you pull this whole thing together? Because having been so controlled for such a long time, how did you start to make those decisions for yourself? Honestly, I would say I probably went backwards before I went forwards. You know, when you are so used to being told what to do, you become quite conditioned to a structure. So once that structure had been kind of destroyed, I did lose myself for a while. Wine would have been probably the old vodka or gin would have been the obvious answer but it didn't go that route I just didn't eat Uh, and I am almost six foot tall Um, (laughs) I'm not small (laughs) I went down to a size eight which for me was painful I just stopped eating because I was unable to work out at what point that was supposed to happen in my day he would have the children every other weekend or he'd have them one night every weekend but that was very controlled and it was so it controlled my weekends when I didn't have the children I literally just broke free and I probably did that for about a year before I kind of just thought you know what actually I need to get a grip of where I'm going next and what I want out of my life and at that point I started um, reading I started listening to I said I'm going to say CDs now although it wasn't that long ago it wasn't um, podcasts at that point. It was still CDs. And I yeah. was immersing myself in personal development and immersing myself 
trying to create toolkits for myself to be able to navigate this terrain that I had never come across. And I was embarrassed to share my story with anyone outside of my very close friendship circle, which was very small because he had isolated me from all of the people I used to call my friends. And I'm blessed to this day, actually, that when the children went to nursery, there was a group of mums who we became really good friends. And, you know, 13, 14 years later, we still are. They were my lifeline because they brought normality to my life. It is very important to have somebody who is an anchor in reality because it's so easy to get lost in your own world, isn't it? When you haven't been existing in a normal relationship that is a nourishing relationship. I agree. And I think it consumes you when you are in it. You can't think of anything else except getting out of it. And then when you're out of it, as ridiculous as it may sound, there's almost a comfort of being in it because whilst there's uncertainty every day and you never quite know how they're going to be when they wake up, are they going to be in a good mood? Are they going to be in a bad mood? And everything was about taking a temperature and being, saying the right thing at the right time, which existing in that way is exhausting. Yes, it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, having a support network and also just relaxing into myself and I got through the twins were 18 months old within a year I cut they kind of had moved out of that period into kind of being three and at that point I kind of had to then look back and celebrate what I had achieved because I had done it and there were all kinds of financial implications as well there was not one single part of my life that wasn't impacted by this so I had to create almost a route to something else that would immerse me and give me some respite and I had some great people around me. I had great neighbours who totally leaned in and were there for me. And again, without the, that kind of support, but that took an element of me having to say, I need help. And, and that is the, the crucial point, because I think for a lot of people who, who've existed in an isolated condition for a long time, it's sometimes so out of character for that person and what they've become to go out and ask for help, isn't it? Yes, I agree. And I was embarrassed. You know, there's a couple of really clear memories of things where actually I should have just reached out probably even to the police if I'm honest but I didn't because I doubted myself to whether I'd got it right because I'd been told so many times oh you always do that or you always make such a big deal out of everything and so it, there were certain things that happened where you'd question whether you got it right and so you wouldn't share that with anyone else because you would you know already you're doubting yourself so why would you bring somebody else into that mix so it's really about being sure about how you feel and it's that inside you know when your fight or flight is literally in gear the whole time you lose sight of whether actually something is right or wrong and actually I would say probably in the last maybe 13 years I have super honed in my intuition my inner voice and now I listen to it without fail and if something doesn't feel right it's because it's not to build all that up again it takes time and effort and incremental steps so how you've done it it's just incredible you're a very very strong person so thank you for sharing that with us we're just going to take a small break and we'll be back with claire louise with inspirational guests from across the world this is inspire radio, inspire radio. so welcome back to inspired conversations and with me is claire louise adams now claire louise was in an abusive relationship for a number of years 
and eventually got away from it. So we were talking before the break, Claire Louise, about how you gradually built up your self-belief and your self-esteem. So you went back to work and what other things did you do that brought you back to believing in yourself again? I think probably a really key part of my healing was around the time the children were about five years old. So a number of years after my separation from their father, I met a man who was couldn't be more different to my previous partner if we tried. And in fact, I look at, look at him now and think, I think the universe sent him to me to enable me to heal in a different way. Because from day one, He was this kind, thoughtful, um, and he believed in me uh, from the outset. And we ended up getting married and we, we were together for a number of years. Sadly, we're not now, but we were. And his influence on me was a massive, massive part of my, I guess I'm going to say rehabilitation because there was part of it of me being able to A, let somebody in and trust, but also because of the ongoing, because we had a shared care um, with my, you know, the children's father, there was a shared care court order in place. That was disruptive on every level on pretty much every day. But yet I had met and married a man who just went with it to a point and he was just fantastic and you know I shall forever we're still great friends in fact we had a conversation yesterday about the world currently we're still great friends and I will always be grateful to him for him coming into my life and he says the same for me there was some stuff that he was going through so we kind of just met each other right at the right time to enable each other to be able to break free of some of the stuff we were both dealing with. Isn't it amazing that when the time is right, the right thing happens? That's my experience anyway in life. I believe wholeheartedly in synchronicities and the right person will appear at the right time with the right message. <laughs> and and he, he was the right person absolutely at that time that he is exactly what I needed. And he just relaxed me into being open to love, being open to actually allowing somebody into not only my life but also my children's life because you know that was hard hard allowing somebody to be in with them based on everything we'd been through yes. and he he was just perfect you know he, he really was a great guy so what what were you discussing with him yesterday about the state of the world because the, the world is a pretty crazy place at the moment <laughs> isn't it just we were kind of having a conversation about Actually, the path that we took with regards to all of the family law cases that we went through, and actually a lot of the stuff that I've seen on social media and on the news, of, and, and, and have a huge amount of empathy for anyone that is going through it, where actually if my 50-50 shared care arrangement was still in place now, it's not because the children have made the decision for it not to be because they're almost 15. But if it was, where would the children be? And that in itself would be traumatic. And there was advice and we were having this conversation about could you imagine and we were like actually yes we could imagine because we've lived through it and we've lived through different times of the children not being let out at the right time and and actually for some people it becomes it makes this whole isolation piece so much more traumatic because they can't be around their children 
they're worrying are they going to get their children back so it's it's tough so we were kind of discussing the world at large and the fact that we're all at home well I say we're all at home most of us are at home um, and we were kind of we were having that discussion really about where we would be if if life hadn't changed well it's it's quite clear that life is going to be different and we will come out of this COVID-19 pandemic at some point but don't you feel that life will never be the same as it was pre-COVID-19. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And on so many different levels. I was talking to a friend this morning, actually, and we were discussing how some neighbours of hers are both corporate people. They both have fairly senior C-suite positions. And both of them had now been told not to go into work. And it was kind of every man for themselves situation which in itself brings around the financial uncertainty, especially when you've got, you know, mortgage and car payments and kids and sometimes maintenance payments and all that kind of stuff. That in itself brings out anxiety in people. But I also think on the flip side, there is such an opportunity for empathy and for humility. And I was watching on actually on the day that um, our Prime Minister was due to give his update at five o'clock and it was postponed until 8.30, which was the day that he addressed the nation with regards to the um, isolation lockdown. I actually turned on BBC News and there was the uh, health secretary and the um, shadow health secretary having a conversation with each other. And for the first time ever, these two men are, and I'm not political in the slightest, but they were addressing each other with such respect and such empathy and gratitude for the work that each of them had done. And I just sat there mesmerised, looking at them, thinking, wow, look at these two, not point scoring, not trying to belittle each other, not kind of jibing and digging at each other like they normally would. And all that happened was it kind of spread across the House of Commons. And that, you know, backbenchers started standing up and thanking the honourable gentleman for this work and that work. And I just thought, you know what, this is the opportunity we have as a global population to be in gratitude for what may happen next. I agree with that entirely. I think there's such an opportunity here for people to come together and to bond. I mean, I go out for my daily bit of exercise around some woods very close to where I live. And the first morning after the lockdown, there was nobody around, which was actually rather beautiful. And to me, the birds sounded louder and they were singing their hearts out. And I thought, wow, they're, they're so glad that the people have gone. <laughs> But after that, when I came across people the following morning and the morning after that, everybody says good morning now. Before, you had some people that would say good morning, some people that would just focus on where they were going or look at their feet and not pay attention. Now, everybody is so polite. We circumnavigate, we keep our two meters away if possible, but the kind of feeling I get is that we're all in this together. Yes. And it's almost like a war or the war spirit as I imagine it. Not many of us around who experienced World War II, for example, but I can imagine that's how it was when everybody's pulling together because nobody escapes the risk here. We're all at risk, not only health-wise, but finance-wise and and certainty-wise. You know, nothing, nothing is sacred and nothing is safe, as it were. Everything is up in the air. But isn't it a fantastic time to reset. Absolutely. And I I actually believe, and probably the reason that everybody, and it's very similar to where I live, but you know, at lunchtime, we have quite a structured day because the children are homeschooling 
and we go out and we make sure we've exercised and we all do that together and we kind of make it a family time. I agree, everyone is saying hello, but I, I, I have a strong belief that because whilst we're calling it social distancing, actually what we need to do for our own safety is physical distancing, but we are human beings and we need social connection. We do. So we don't need social distancing. We need to still socially connect with each other and the heavens above that we have technology that allows us to do that. The physical distancing is the bit that we have to keep an eye on because that's that's the bit that stops the virus spreading. Yes, yes it is. And doing all the things that we are told to do, such as wash our hands and not touch our face and, and all of that, I'm becoming yeah. quite fastidious about <laughs> hand washing now. And every time I go out, you know, to the supermarket or whatever, I use the, um, the hand wipes and yeah. wash my hands as soon as I get home. It's just become such a ingrained thing in my mind now that that's the way we have to, we have yeah. to live. That way, yeah, I, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because when it first started, it was like sing happy birthday twice, yes, and that is enough time. And after actually, it was probably probably about four or five days after I was thinking, this is a real waste of time. I'm sure I could be saying something different. And then I was on a, a coaching call with a group of people that I've known for about two years, and we kind of regularly meet on the, on Zoom. Um, and we were kind of all saying, actually, instead of singing happy birthday, why don't we all come up with our own personal affirmations of something that we can say to ourselves? So again, it's that positive. And if if somebody hasn't done an affirmation before, said an affirmation out loud, they think, oh my goodness, you just all sound a little bit crazy but actually saying something over and over again to yourself in the opposite way that I had it in my previous relationship where I was told I wasn't good enough and you know and nobody would love me actually now I tell myself every day that I am good enough and that I am strong and we will come through this and I am grateful and I'm blessed and I have an amazing family and I'm I'm grateful to have the home that I live in and ridiculous as it sounds this is the stuff i say to myself every time i wash my hands how fantastic is that claire louise i think i think that's exactly what we need to do i think if you start off with an attitude of gratitude then everything else in your day seems to flow better doesn't it for sure absolutely and it and you know the first time i did it i won't lie to you my the little my mean girl in my brain was going no you're not you don't mean that you just say (laughs) And like the the back chat that you have of your own self-talk. But actually, it's kind of just, it's just getting into the habit of just doing, the same way as we have a structure here, we have a structure, we go out for a walk at a certain time. In a certain period of time, we then sit down and the four of us, Verity Bind, I've got two teenagers and a 23-year-old, we have this massive tablecloth that's a colouring-in book and we colour for half an hour. Oh, how lovely. (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds crazy, but what it does is it just, we all just chat or we sit there mindfully just doing our own thing and I know as a parent I am I am subliminally you know they I think they probably know what I'm doing because they've been around my world of coaching for long enough but it is just focusing their attention on actually the good that we have and just being mindful about what we're doing rather than getting pulled into the the negativity mm. because that's so easy because let's be honest it's, we're in a scary situation no as you said uncertainty brings anxiety so actually for you to redirect out of that 
there has to be some real firm, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going, what I'm going to say. And there is an element of conditioning yourself to feel better about things, even when I'm not going to lie, you know, most mornings I wake up and I forget for about five seconds that we're living in this chaos. And then I think, Oh, but this, when you say chaos, but it's actually, I think it's a perfect opportunity for us all to reevaluate everything you know how how we live how we interact how we power our world do we really need to be going back to burning fossil fuels um you know look yeah. look at how the earth has started to breathe again during this pause of activity and the toxic yellow cloud of poison that hangs over china has dissipated yes according to nasa and there are other things, the, the canal in Venice, the canals are running clear again, and you can yeah. see fish, and there are dolphins off the coast of Italy, and all these amazing things are coming to light because we've stopped going round the globe, clogging up the air. So isn't this a great time to think, be much more mindful about how we go back to normality, inverted commas, after this is all over. I agree. I actually saw a funny post on Instagram the other day that said, it's almost like Mother Nature has sent us to our rooms to think about what we've done. Yes. (laughs) And actually, there is, even my son said today, we were walking out of the park and he said to me, I think the environment will be happy, the wildlife, and actually the environment will be happy that actually we've all got to stay inside. Um, I think so too. And, And I'm convinced that the birds are singing louder. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I think we have such an amazing opportunity to reach out with empathy and uh, not fear and not lack because everybody is in the same situation. And I think it is a reality of our lives that at one point or another, people go through financial hardship in their lives. That happens. I've been there. But at the time when it happened to me, I was the only one that I knew that was going through it. I think now there's this element of actually yes there we are in challenging times but the opportunity to be empathetic about what we do with that next is is such an opportunity because once something's happened to you you have a different view and a different experience and so therefore a different opinion on how you would handle things moving forward and that is no matter what it is Um, so I think my word I think for COVID-19 post COVID-19 is empathy. I, my wish is that we practice what we have started, which is globally, you know, this is, this is a global challenge, but to be more empathetic with not only each other, but actually the world around us. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And just hearing what you saw on television with the two politicians, that is incredible. Mm. Uh, If we can have that ripple effect, touch everybody, I think it's the beginning of something that could be absolutely amazing when you think that actually half a million have voted to volunteer in the UK to help those that are, that cannot get out and about, either they're vulnerable or they're sick or they're old, and just help each other in this time of crisis and uncertainty. But to me, that is a huge indication that people are more empathetic and they're showing it and they're willing to put themselves out there to help others. And what a great effect the crisis has given rise to. 
shall we name it? Shall we call it COVID effect? Shall we, shall the COVID we effect. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> but actually from a positive, yeah, and I agree with you. I, and I think it's more than that. I think the 250,000 was the government's target. I think actually they doubled that in one day. And you just, I saw again, an article uh, in the newspaper of a, a guy who was 75 and who was a doctor returning uh, in, in his gown and saying, actually, when you train to be a doctor, you train to save lives. And if you're worried about getting sick, best you not become a doctor. Wow. More <laughs> <than it is. laughs> oh, that's it, isn't it? Say it and say it how it is. That's exactly so, you know, huge gratitude to all of those people because potentially they are looking after the sick uh, and could be looking after anyone that we know that finds themselves in that unfortunate situation. So, Yes. The rest of them have a responsibility to be positive and to look for the best in a situation because you just don't know what's around the corner. No, nobody does. So I think we do owe an enormous debt of gratitude to those brave souls in the NHS and, and other hospitals, the private hospitals as well, who are coming forward to care for what they're saying is going to be a massive spike shortly, which is, is terrifying, really. But if we can all do our bit and remain positive like you, I think the world will be a much better place. So I vote that we bottle some of Claire Louise's positivity. <laughs> I, might, I might need some of it myself at some point. It's, uh, it's, it's not always that way, but that's, that's the human condition, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and none of us are perfect and none of us can be positive 100% of the time. But it's all about perspective and it's about knowing that whatever the situation is now, it will change. I think when you are less mature, shall we say, then things become so much more vital and there's less ability to look at it from a, an observer's point of view, shall we say. So, yeah, I think we're all learning as we go through this crisis. But I believe that there's going to be so many positive things that come out of this. And meeting you is one of them. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise. Yes. And, and as I don't actually know who the quote belongs to. So forgive me for not being able to quote their name, but the, the phrase, this too shall pass. Yes. It sums it all up for me. It does. Well, Claire Louise, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you for joining us on Inspired Conversations. And we look forward to catching up at some point in the future, maybe. And we wish everybody a safe and healthy week and look forward to hearing you and seeing you and having you join us for Inspired Conversations next time. Goodbye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Maybe you would like to join us as a guest on Inspire Radio. Maybe you'd like to feature on our Inspire Radio directory. If you would and you'd like to get in touch, then simply enter your details on the contact page at inspireradio.co.uk. Remember to give our Facebook page a like as well, at Inspire Radio UK. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Inspire Radio and have the best day you possibly can. Be happy, be inspired. With feel-good music by day, relaxing music by night, this is Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired.